and I am using this as an opportunity to teach people and open people up to other stories of other teachers and light workers. And um, I want to open it up now to my friend and brother from another mother, Andrew. Mm -hmm. um, uh, thanks for joining, Andrew. Oh, man, Mike, thanks so much for having me. This is like such a huge pleasure. I've been looking forward to this all week. Yep. It's it's kind of awesome every time we talk, and it's it was it, it became more clear to me why it's so awesome when I saw your birthday <laughs> recently and realized it's the same as my sister's birthday, which is oh. you know one third of the the year away, which represents like the perfect trine in astrology. So the suns are very well aligned, and you have your Venus right there on your sun too. It's pretty amazing love energy there. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, so there are like a million things we could talk about. Um, and I feel like, um, I, I thought maybe the most appropriate, interesting, interesting part to start the conversation with would be the, the nature of what Ra says about specific, specific information versus philosophy. So I'm going to read a quote. Um, this was session 26. Um, uh, Question 36 in session 26, they said, we ask each group to consider the relative effect of philosophy and your so-called specific information. It is not the specificity of information which attracts negative influences. It is the importance placed upon the, neg the specific information. This is why we iterate quite often when asked for specific information that it pales to insignificance, just as the grass withers and dies while the love and the light of the one infinite creator redounds to the very infinite realms of creation forever and ever, creating and creating itself in perpetuity. Why then be concerned with the grass that blooms, withers and dies in its season only to grow once again due to the infinite love and light of the one creator? This is the message we bring. Each entity is only superficially that which blooms and dies. In the deeper sense, there is no end to beingness. So, um, I feel like I have a lot of specific questions for you, and there there are a lot of interesting things I want to hear about and talk about. But at the same time, I feel like I know everything always just, especially when we're talking, it just goes off into the philosophical territory, and it just it just basks in the philosophy of the the perfection of what the perfect moment, perfect present moment we're experiencing actually is. Yeah, I. I couldn't agree more. And I was thinking earlier this week, and really today, I think I, I named it this, this joy. Like when I think of like the things that bring me joy, it's, you know, diving into the things that we dive into the way that we do this. It's, um, it's just joyful. So um, yeah. And how it spins into truth. I mean, it, it's always getting distilled down to the essence so we start with the specific, we start with the pointers that are sort of, you know, the, in the physical um, that we're used to seeing. And then we look at the correspondences and see what's going on here spiritually. Yeah. So do you feel like you had 
a series of awakenings in your life that kind of made you look at life differently, think more in the spiritual lines? Was it primarily one big awakening experience or period? Uh, I had a I had a misfire, I guess, a false start, maybe, um, probably 11 or 12 years ago. Um, I had a, you know, a few challenges coming up in life and um, actually found um, Eckhart Tolle's book, um, Power of Now. And um, I got enough out of that in a short amount of time that I went like, wow, you know, there's a lot going on here. And then everything else that was going on settled down and then I settled right back in. And then um, after COVID hit, uh, that all changed. Then I had a little bit more time on my hands and realized at one point, um, actually watching um, the movie, The Secret. Um, I had somehow missed it for the 12 years since it had come out. Uh, and it wasn't that the, the principle of the law of attraction itself was something completely foreign to me. But um, as a matter of fact, when I watched it, I had this realization, you know, kind of halfway through it that I had had this theory before um, when I was a teenager. It sort of um, made sense to me, this relationship between consciousness and reality. And, um, and that was it. So I just said, okay, if, if this can be done, if other people can figure it out, then I can figure it out too. And I started with nothing but the intellect, really. Um, and one of the first things I learned early on was um, how limited it really is. And that part wasn't you know, super tricky for me because I've kind of lived most of my life with this feeling of the more that I learned, the more I realize how much I don't know. And um, the Kabbalists talk about uh, emptying your cup and doing that as sort of the cycle of progression and evolution and consciousness throughout life. And in some ways, I feel like I've been walking around with, you know, an upside down cup um, and especially um, as this path started. So obviously Could you detail that a little bit more, what you mean by emptying the cup. Yeah. So um, the cycle of learning they describe in this triangle and it starts with knowledge and then goes to understanding and then becomes wisdom. And then comes the next opportunity for learning and growth. And so you go back down, um, but it progressively gets higher and higher because every time you have a new foundation. And so you're, you're evolving um, in consciousness as you do this, but you take knowledge in what you can sort of intellectualize, you apply it in experience uh, to turn it into understanding, and then you use the understanding to apply to um, a number of stages um, in life and kind of um, probably archetypal um, transitions in consciousness as you go up. But every time that you go back down, as I remind a lot of my friends, um, if you feel like you just fell on your face, um, you know, there's good news. It's because you, you just got up here. And so sometimes we, we run into a big challenge and we go, you know, how is this so challenging right now? I thought I, you know, had, you know, all this figured out. And then it's like, oh, okay. And it's actually a, a totally new lesson that you actually get to learn it in a very new way. And every time you do this, um, the challenges get, you know, easier and easier to, to resolve. It's just like, yeah, restarting in the, the cycle of the, the the major arcana going back to the matrix of the mind what they call the new mind that was the one example they gave that was pretty insightful that they said basically just emptying everything just like you're saying empty out your mind and let your will be pure and single pointed 
and the whale single single pointed can now pursue the next lesson, the next thing that you felt was what your transformations were leading you up to. And it's yet another opportunity for transformation. <laughs> Go figure. But right. but it also is a is an easier process as we as we step more and more into the archetype of the great way, I believe. The and become the world, you know, the great way of the spirit is the world. We're becoming one with the process, and it becomes more like it's the background, the flow that we're just that we're just ever present in this state of growth. Yeah, a hundred percent. That state of flow always uh, instantly my mind goes to this detachment from um, time that's outside of this moment and. To the extent that it's there from sort of a, a strictly practical sense, it's there, though it's um, evaporated to a point that, um, you know, my frame of reference for things in the past are um, sort of anecdotal at best, I guess. It's like, oh, yeah, this thing happened or that thing happened, but there isn't sort of a, a relatability and identity. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, that was a thing. And then likewise, in the future, you don't know what's coming and and actually the the notion of controlling it in and of itself is um is a form of resistance actually and i've been kind of talking with people about that a few times uh recently that oftentimes we think of resistance as you know pushing against something that's sort of coming at us um but i think that it's the same thing really with seeking to control because you're always resisting you know something if if you're you know, if you end up controlling things. So um, losing, you know, most of the attachment there to just this moment is what I think brings all that, you know, front and center. And I was thinking a bit about the analogy of training wheels. You know, training wheels can even limit the the rider. And once the, the training period, which has been our lives that we've lived up to now, once we once we fully feel free, and feel um, fully in the flow state that there's no danger in this freedom that we've experienced. Now we now we lose the training wheels and we no longer need the same catalysts, the same boundaries on our life parameters that we had initially. Although I don't know if we ever fully escaped these. Even Carl Rucker apparently had these health issues that were a catalyst for her to need more, to open her up more to assistance from Jim McCarty. And Jim McCarty would, would say that he was very blessed by this need that he had to continuously serve Carla through her health distortions. So that's one example of something that's a pre-incarnative decision. But I think most of the biases, most of the things that we're trying to control in our life are not something that we plan to always have to control. They're things that we're, we're, we're being uh, asked to let, let go of right now. So it's just a matter of, of continuously letting go and finding the, the perfect yeah. lesson. Yeah. And, and letting go of attachment which is a, a very broad word and in fact i think i like to use words sometimes i'll say it's attachment small a you know like i just mean you know just in the general assignment of meaning to all things in our perception there is attachment to all things and what we invest meaning in is what defines our experience and so um it's not so much moving toward um you know, unattachment, I suppose, I think it's more the realization that everything that becomes unattached from becomes easier and now flows better. And so it's not so much striving toward a thing, it's more um, having an opportunity, having every opportunity that comes up 
um, before you to say, oh, you know, what meaning am I assigning here? And um, and get that perspective and decide if it's something that you want to be attached to or not. Yeah, discipline seems like an appropriate concept for what what the path is, the path of holding your attention on on questioning the the false assumptions, the distortions of the experience that are not yet ironed out. Oh, for sure. So um, maybe I could dig into some of these. Um, well, if we could start with the present moment, going back one day. Okay. So, so you're working at a company and you're helping people at that company. Uh, I am. Uh, I my title is people person, and my job is supporting all the people that comprise this company. And it's a it's a technology company. Um, we do IT, and um, but that's sort of a um, um, it's a bonus. It's a bonus because all the people that that do work here enjoy working in IT. Um, but uh, yeah, my job is to build this company uh, to be a company that works for people, um, just as much, if not more so, than the people work for the company. Yep, that's beautiful. So, do you feel like you're getting better at this particular task of benefiting people in various ways? Are you finding? Are you are we collecting resources that are useful tools? In this process, um, yeah, and going back to our previous point, uh, the importance of non-attachment. So, for example, I designed a self-mastery course, um, brought in some coaches from you know independent coaches to run it. There's a kind of a main coach, a health and wellness coach, a financial coach, and um, this is all free to the employee. They can do it during their work hours, um, and you know about half, uh, give or take, maybe just over half. Uh, people participate in it and have, you know, really great things to say and are really enjoying it. And the others uh, don't. Um, and that's also totally great. So, um, yeah, I'm finding success in um, in the message and in the, you know, finding resonance, I think, from the people who are in it. I don't have direct contact with most of them because I'm, well, I mean, obviously outside of the program, these are all my employees, but um, you know, within it, that's, you know, that's all confidential between the people and the coaches. But what I'm hearing from everyone is um, a lot of positive feedback. And are these coaches that you've just found through searching or discovered over time? Has, the, has there been a lot of synchronicity in your discovery process? Yeah, I would say going with the flow. Um, my partner, uh, Victoria Beckworth, um, is the one who found um, the... Uh, the first coach, um, her name's Stephanie. She actually lives in Spain, and um, you know now has this you know big pod of um, people to uh, to work with on their personal and professional development. Um, and I write uh, a sort of a curriculum of sorts, which is based around our company's core values. And each of those values has a number of modules. So there's 12 modules, and it's designed to basically. Um, go over the course of a year and I'm kind of writing it as we're going. So, um, you know, every month I kind of go crank out, you know, here's this principle, here's sort of how it works and how you can apply it in life and then some exercises and they go through those with, uh, with the coaches. Do you feel like you have uh, many more things to do on these paths? Do you feel like you would want to make this something that other companies can um, take as a, a template? It certainly occurred to me. And um, given that I don't think 
super far in advance and um, don't have a lot of, um, you know, real specific ambitions. Um, there's some things on the business side that we're doing that we do have some um, very concrete goals, um, but that, you know, will take us through the next couple of years or so. And, you know, so that's pretty straightforward. And um, on the other side, it has occurred to me that this could be something that other people might um, find resonant as well. Um, it's just, um, to me, it makes a lot of sense because we're in a, especially because we're in an industry that um, that has a very um, uh, not large talent pool. There's, you know, we're always hurting for hiring really good people. And so um, this just makes good business sense also, you know, to be, you know, a great place to work so that you don't have so much turnover. Um, but I really do feel that this uh, approach to doing business um, is the way that, and I don't, since I don't like using should, um, it's the way that I believe it will be done uh, one day. And it has been done before that um, organized occupation um, is a, just a, a productive thing to do in society and everybody benefits from it. And, um, you know, not some people by squeezing other people. And unfortunately, that's a lot of people's approach to businesses, uh, squeezing as much as they, as they can out of people. It does seem like there's almost like a missing feminine role in the in the corporate structure. It's like it's like there should be like a a person who's able to lend money for purposes that that has the feminine energy, you know. Whereas the 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 masculine energy seems to be seeking the the profit and the control, um, and in a way that is almost like you have to be very competitive in maintaining that. Um, but I guess I'm trying to go in the direction that it feels like we all have roles and it feels like, you know, some people are, are very happy filling specific roles in companies. And um, I guess at, at sometimes people can become too comfortable in their roles. And that's why karma comes in place, I suppose, to get people a little bit, um, whether it's the work or it's their personal life, something comes up and people seem to have have the the lessons that push push their boundaries of their boxes. But nevertheless, to be actually be of useful service to one another, we have to have roles. We have to have some sense of um, associations with specific uh, jobs. And you know, I, I tried to break away from working for people. Uh, you know, going back quite some time. But then that kind of meant um, I was free to do smaller uh, freelance projects, and that still felt like it wasn't necessarily fully my calling. As much as you know, pursuing the the spiritual um, content that I'm pursuing now, um, so I don't really know what my role is actually. I just know that I'm I'm good at programming now, so I like I like the opportunity to program. But I also feel like I need more people like yourself. I need more people to catalyze me to see where hasn't my role been found yet? Where has my role not yet been activated to pursue? And I feel like that's why these you know having meetup groups is like the the, the perfect way. To kind of like get find a different residence system that is not the corporate world. It's not government. It's not the medical system. It's it's just people who are starting to wake up, starting to try to figure out what it is we can be doing together. Yeah, it's it's not a dynamic where there's somebody trying to get something out of somebody else. This is in all those cases that you mentioned, um, people coming together to benefit each other. And yeah, yeah that's absolutely the paradigm that we're moving toward yeah so 
would you like to talk about? I mean, you're free to you're free to choose what you want to say, and even if you want to say the name of your company, you're free. You're free in all the disclosures you would like. Um, but um, so you seem to have found a lot of interesting people also in Colorado as we as we work more on different ideas. It seems that um, you mentioned there's an app called One Boulder. I think that was a neat one that you found. If anyone's in the Denver Boulder area, you should look up the. Is that called One Boulder on the app stores? Yeah, it is called One Boulder, and it's yeah centered right around Boulder and the areas around it. Yeah, they have a, a a wealth of local events and um, things going on. People are posting things basically every day of the week. And yeah, I was up there at a function a little over a year ago, and somebody had mentioned it, and I, oh, I wonder what's on there, and and they just have just this amazing array of things, just all kinds of. Uh, works in uh, consciousness and you know dance and um, it's yeah um, a lot of stuff going on up there in Boulder. Um, oh, and yes, I will definitely say the name of my company is Rain Tech, um, but it's um, it's the thing that I do, you know. And um, to to close the kind of loop on that last bit, I would say that. Um, while we're growing and doing more than we've ever done before um, and on the verge of doing a lot more, um, I'm, um, I'm as less stressed than I've ever been, you know, at all these stages of when we were much smaller. Um, so I think that's certainly a testament to, you know, finding a lot more um, balance and um, equanimity. Um, anyway. So do you feel like your business was like a, a graduate education in some kind of metaphysics? Did you learn the principles and giving and taking and receiving in, um, from employees, receiving from clients to maintain the balanced harmony between all the different players? Is this oh, something that, go ahead. For sure. I mean, uh, you know, with not really an, an instruction on how to do it, you know, just figuring it out as, as we went really, but, you know, we grew, you know, one, one employee at a time and big customer here, big customer there and then new industries, new lines of business. Um, so yeah, and and it's just really a lot of hard work. That's what I always tell people. It's making sausage in IT, but um, we got a lot of really good people who are willing to do a lot of really good work, and then you have a lot of really happy customers. And maybe not to get too far off subject, but do you feel like it's evolving at a faster rate now with things like ChatGPT? Oh man, um, yes. <laughs> now that um, we've got uh, paid accounts for um, multiple people in the company, um, yeah, they're finding all kinds of really good uses for it. Yeah, I I certainly enjoy um, watching things evolve, and it feels like you know things things could get really interesting with the AI systems. But I've found that you know they are just sort of like reflections of of my own energy because they're they, they they still they're requesting input from the user and then you get like an immediate reaction which is like um not a single person but like a mixture of people it's like you can you could kind of get a better mirror in some ways to what energy you're putting into this this ai um than you would from a person because it just will immediately give you if you ask for an image some of these will just give you an image and that's getting possibly creepy with the the ghost-like images it's putting out. But um, I guess I'm trying to say that technology is kind of like a, it's like a fantasy mirror of of the reality that we're trying to create. And it's not necessarily a very balanced one, 
completely. Um, but but hopefully we can shift the focus more in the direction of using technology as a way to sort of augment the the spiritual lifestyle that we're that we're seeking, one which is able to seek inward more often um, than being distracted outwardly. And you know, maybe the technology is designed to give us leisure time to do the inner work, if that makes sense. As far as I'm concerned, that's the only benefit uh, in the long term of technology, or certainly the biggest one that we have yet to really fully realize. We've realized all kinds of ways to use it to, you know, extract money from people and, um, you know, invade their privacy and commit cybercrime. And I mean, just, you know, it's endless. But ultimately, that's the, the real benefit of technology, because what else do you need but, you know, food and shelter and you don't really need a lot of things, but um, technology can bridge a gap and be extremely beneficial in uh, spreading information and lots of really cool applications for it. And as far as the AI goes, um, I have a hard time. And I'm not a data scientist, so I can only kind of ponder on um, algorithmic construction and you know how that how all that stuff works, but. Um, right now, I still see it as an expression of, you know, our collective consciousness. And it seems like it's getting awfully close. I've seen some videos and some, you know, clips that it did seem like it could be going in some less productive directions, particularly with what it's doing with warfare too, um, like guided weapon systems and things like that. That's... Um, I think going uh, in the complete opposite direction, obviously, than where we need to go. But if it's doing things like um, performing medical procedures and keeping people healthy and giving them more time to explore what it means to be a human being in consciousness, then that's obviously where technology can take us if we choose it. Yep. So is there any anything you would like to talk about with um, any schools of thought? We've talked about the Kabbalah a little bit. Um, what 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 is what shapes the way that you think um, on a day to day basis? What what kind of philosophies or what is the backdrop that has most influenced your thinking? Um, I would have to say the the foundation of it is really Paul Selig's work. Um, he's you know, written ten books now and read. Um, most of them three times. And um, that was the the foundation. It, it's a very granular level of truth at a very consistent vibration and one that you first approach, you know, or certainly I certain uh, approach coming, you know, up at an angle. And that's really how they teach you is that ascension is uh, in which they don't call, they don't like to call it ascension, but um, the act of of elevating in consciousness is accomplished through alignment and agreement. So it's not, you know, flipping a switch, it's aligning to a particular quality or state of being and agreeing to it and permitting the self to, to have that and to embody and exemplify that particular quality. And it's by bringing that alignment and agreement into our awareness that we gradually um, attain that quality. Yeah, that definitely is kind of the way I think about the energy systems, the energy center systems, the chakra systems, is the alignment and agreement with specific energies. 
and the more consistently we agree with a particular energy, the more those energies start to crystallize and form like a structure of our subconscious mind that is more easy to stand upon like a, like a foundation, I think, for, for further considerations. So they call the the opening the heart as being the springboard to infinite intelligence. And that's like the the alignment of the heart and then the agreement that we that we're operating from the heart, the agreement that we're wanting to give into the basically the love that 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 is wanting to express itself. Yeah. Surrendering really. Um and that's the choice that we're making in every moment. Always making uh that same choice whether we're surrendering to what wants to come through or uh, resisting. And yeah, that state of allowance is what's moving us forward in a much more beautiful way than um, when we're resistant to everything that's present. Absolutely. So Paul said like he is someone who, um, do you know his, his story much? Did he just start channeling when he was younger? Uh, he was a psychic uh, um, and a little bit of a hands-on healer back in the 80s and um, through a, a number of um, improvements really that he made in his health um, that his guides were were um, recommending that he do. Uh, they eventually came to him and said, okay, we're going to channel a book and you need to write this down. And that was in like 2008 or 2009 when he wrote, I am the word. And so I didn't find these books again until like 2020. And, and I actually started um, very synchronistically on book four, believe it or not. And reading that book in exactly that order had a synchronicity in it on a very specific day that changed the course of my life um, in, in really concrete ways. And so that was pretty powerful because I happened to start on the fourth book because I read a different book that mentioned Paul Selig in a chapter of it and said, um, he's writing a book now. It's the first in a trilogy. And this one's called the book of mastery. And I was like, I was starving for a teacher. I mean, at that point, like I said, I just decided, well, okay, I can go figure this out. And then I was like, well, where do I go? And, you know, I listened to a lot of Deepak Chopra kind of podcasts and, um, read some of his material and and I definitely knew like he gets it you know for sure um, but the the translation wasn't necessarily there uh, immediately and then um, eventually did do a, a medicine journey and um, went in with this intention to um, expand my consciousness um, and and increase the the level at which I could sort of assimilate or understand this information that I was hearing, um, but not quite connecting with. Um, and so that helped. And that's kind of what it did. It wasn't like that was some sort of like um, big grand moment in and of itself. Um, but it did expand the outer bounds of my consciousness enough to start fitting more of this information in so that I could start to synthesize it into, you know, kind of a, a scaffolding, as I sometimes say, to try to, you know, get up to understanding this stuff um, before I could finally um, find the trust that you were talking about um, before, which is um, always a process and obviously something that I still have to do in every moment. But when you look back like that cruise ship that doesn't turn on a dime, you know, same thing, alignment and agreement, and eventually it gets there and it can look back and it can say, okay, I was over here before. 
Um, but um, that trust um, changes your whole way of being, changes your experience in life. Yeah, it does seem like there's something going on in our minds that is the subconscious scaffolding that is sometimes very, very hard to, to even explore and investigate and understand. And I, I assume that's related to, you know, self-knowledge, understanding our, our own biases and distortions before we can begin to balance them and then find the new biases that, that serve our mission of higher truth and intuitive awareness of truth that seems to come differently for different people. Um, but it, but it seems like this, some of these books, I, I know a lot of people feel like we don't need books, that books are just um, another external thing that can distract us. But I also think that I was able to use books like The Raw Contact to finally look within in a way that was um, more questioning than it had been before. And, and breaking down some of the assumptions and biases that I had that were contradictory, that were not necessarily what I felt in alignment with. And then opening up to intuition more clearly, more cleanly, so that I have more of a voice that is literally, it's like there's a voice in my head that is pulling up things that I have remembered from the different books. You know, it's like I have I have uh, some some ways that I intuitively perceive things that are based on even biblical scriptures, but much of it now is the raw context, some of it's Course in Miracles, and some of it maybe even Edgar Casey. but I haven't... Um, dug into Paul Selig's books yet. And I, I feel like it's a, it's a big, it's a big um, set of information. Um, and I, I am, I'm a little curious to know a little bit more if you want to share anything about uh, um, the overall teachings. Sure. What he gets into. I'd say it's, I would probably describe it as more of a process. And in fact, it's fascinating that you bring this up in the context of these other books. And first, I definitely want to acknowledge that while, while Paul Selig's work um, became my foundation, um, I continued to build that scaffolding out of, you know, the amazing uh, things like The Raw Contact and uh, The Course in Miracles. So um, similarly on those two fronts for me. Um, but going back to, to Paul's work, um, I, I approached his manager with this idea actually once in Costa Rica and he seemed, you know, positive to it, but I wanted to do something similar to the law of one. And I've mentioned this to you before, but um, similar to the law of one.info, the site that, um, that, what was his name again? Oh, Toby Wheelock. Toby Wheelock. Yeah. Um, so I want to do something similar there because Paul's work, it's 10 books and there's, there's no way to search it. There's, it doesn't exist digitally. And so I've, I've kind of worked, on a, a few projects of my own to try to digitize the information, um, try to get it searchable. I've actually um, had somebody prototype um, searching it using the ChatGPT API. Um, so I have an Upworker doing that, not with that book, but with PDFs generally. So um, we had a lot of back and forth and you know, I can talk to you about that offline sometime, but wow. um, it's not a very expensive job to, to you know, to, to be clear, but um, the idea is you can drag a PDF and then you can ask it questions. And so, um, but that doesn't really exist. And the books themselves act as much of a process. And so while sometimes you want to go back and you want to find the way that they worded something, and I say they, um, by the way, for anyone watching, um, these are Paul Selig's guides. Um, they sometimes if pressed, will say that you can call them Melchizedek, but they seem to be kind of a loosely um, you know, connected, um, collective, obviously. 
So um, anyway, the the books are designed in a way to sort of you know move you along, and they do that with a ton of visualizations. Their use of metaphor uh, and and analogy is um, is beautiful. I mean, it's the the way that they will give you these examples of just constantly, just sort of energetically. You know, it's it's like. They're explaining some spiritual concept and then they'll say, imagine you, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, oh, and you get it and you get the energetic frequency of what that concept is that they're relaying to you. Um, so I found that, you know, obviously extremely helpful when I was um, first grasping on to try to understand, um, you know, the things that are infinite, which is the truth. And to build a scaffolding to get to the truth is great. And then eventually you have to step into it and allow it to become you because the truth seeks to be known in manifestation. We could go into the subject of identity and, you know, we, I don't even know how, anyone can even begin to claim to know identity because it seems like it's like the central illusion and it's the central truth at the same time um, as we move from identity in the the ego it is a, still a poor word I think for what we are attached to with identity but we we're moving from this distraction of identity to identity in something that is infinite in nature and beyond the seemingly finite form that we experience. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, that's exactly what we're doing. And I would say that that's, that's the path of ascension. That's in, in probably all wisdom traditions is releasing attachment to identity, expectations, outcomes. I will be seen as this. I will, you know, accomplish that. You know, all of those things are all identity, all things born in separation, born in a reality that is necessarily separated and isolated from other aspects of itself and its creator. And so everything that reinforces that experience claims a consciousness in greater and greater um, separation or gives it the experience of being separate from its source and everything else. It's almost like every particle of consciousness or every um, vibration has like a dual nature where there's the, it's like it has its own lens of perception back to the creator that's just not the chosen lens of perception and maybe maybe this is beyond words what we're trying to talk about but it seems like there is a truth that psychedelics certainly seem to help people discover which is to step out of your identity is is a very natural thing and to to move into a more expanded awareness expanded consciousness that is not whatever we thought our identity was but it's an expanded state seems to be something that's built into the fabric of reality, you know, far more fundamental than, than manifestation. A hundred percent. And obviously for the uninitiated, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot obviously wrapped up into it. Um, if you haven't had the experience and depending on what kind of experience or experiences you have had, but to your point, I completely agree that when, you know, the, the dust settles from the, the initial you know kind of onset of the experience you become what feels like a much more natural state of being and so your 
your communication, your dialogue and everything, just like you said, is just broadened. And there's, um, there isn't the identity, as you said, that is normally wrapped up in everything that we're talking through, which is all of these masks. And so when we start talking about archetypal energies and principles that brings our awareness and consciousness up to and toward, I should say, and aligned to that level of consciousness and that level of unification. And when we are contemplating things that are unified, we're bringing the vibration of unification into our consciousness. And so by simply um, focusing on it and wanting to understand it and putting energy into the concept of unified consciousness, we are ourselves becoming more unified with consciousness in our own experience. We could probably dive into the archetypal idea a little bit more. Archetypes being, of course, uh, like options for identity, which are less distorted is the way I see it. But Ra also in the material refers to it as, you know, the deeper portions of mind that are informing the branches of expression that, that appear through the solar system and the planets and the people. Everything is like an outward extension of the original archetypal thoughts of the one infinite creator that are expressing themselves through these thoughts being expressed through the logos, what they call the logos, the mind of the galaxy. But I'm curious in your study of uh, the Kabbalah, which I believe you're you're taking classes on that still. Do they right. do they do they talk about archetypes in those, or do they use that word? Well, um, yes, because there's or in a way they don't necessarily um, call them or the the center of the study or the curriculum being centered around archetypes, and so instead there might be archangelic correspondences, for example. Um, and so there's, you know, probably 30 or so that we actually learn about each of the sephira um, in the tree. And so those correspondences are there to um, to show you this fractalized out picturing of this similar energy um, or light and how it manifests um, in physical reality. So there there is that. So the, and I would translate that as far as I'm concerned to archetypal energy. And what's happening though in the tree is that the light from Keter is coming down into Hokma and then Bodabina. And so this is the, the, the transmission, the transportation of the light through the each of the sephira. And so this is why the tree of life does become useful as uh, um, a way of visualizing the blueprint of the universe and seeing how this fractal actually recreates itself and understanding the energies, the energetic patterns that correspond to the design of this specific universe. And so every universe is programmed, if you will, in with these archetypal energies and forces that then get to go in and act as, as you say, almost the, the logoi, the Elohim creator gods. And you know, obviously the, the nomenclature across the wisdom traditions um, and biblical texts and all of that is, is tricky at best. So I try to be careful when I'm overlapping or I might be using a term that I'm like, well, I'm not 100% sure if that's necessarily the same thing, but we're talking about you know granular layers of consciousness well above us and it's like well how are they grouped up and you know how, how is it shaped is it sort of um and just know they're kind of up there but do you feel that there's a way to bring it into your own experience where 
you're now seeing in terms of the the different Sephiroth? Do you see that? Yes, I'm so glad that you asked me that. And I was just telling a friend this morning because last night it occurred to me and I took this note about I've been um, I've had this sort of mantra in a way um, called follow the energy. And it's from a book um, written by Sarah Landon uh, called The Wisdom of the Council. Anyway, there's this concept of following the energy, which to me is also this um, this non-resistance. Um, and and so it occurred to me last night, I'm like, well, what about following my energy? Um, I've only very recently um, been introduced to lunar energies in a way. And uh, we went to a full moon ceremony last weekend and it was really cool. Um, but starting to see sort of the archetypal energy and correspondences that uh, align with that and reflecting on how that's been perhaps influencing me uh, this week as we've had the full moon. And it occurred to me last night that I would like to be able to make sure I'm following my energy, which means that if I if I'm in a particular type of mode, um, I don't want to go against that. And so then this reminded me of uh, this book I read that was about yin and yang, and I don't remember the name of it, um, but it was that was my first introduction to those um, energies. And there's tons of really great examples of how this works in everyday life and all the time. And so that actually occurred to me at, in archetypal form. And of course, um, the, um, the positive and negative or the masculine and the feminine are represented at the top of the tree of life or the second layer down underneath Keter is Hokma and Bina. And those are the correspondences to your yin and your yang. And so that occurred to me as like, well, at the very least, However I am, wherever I'm at in consciousness, if I can ask myself, am I feeling yin or am I feeling yang? Am I feeling, you know, affirmative and activated and positive and, you know, wanting to affect change and, and, and put out energy or am I receptive and observant and thoughtful and, you know, um, creating space that way? So that became like this top level question, like, okay, well, which is it, you know, where are you at, you know, between these two sephirah or between yin and yang. And then down below that, at the sephirah, you've got mercy and justice, more or less. Um, and, and again, there's lots of correspondences. So this is a pillar of uh, force. This is a pillar of form. Um, but anyway, you've got hesed and Deborah. And so these are uh, mercy and justice um, or kind of love and severity. Um, and so you can ask yourself where or myself, what am I, um, what am I feeling that I'm exuding, I suppose, right now? Am I, am I, am I needing to either control or to shape or to, um, to satisfy an expectation of myself or somebody else or whatever? Or am I really in this open and abundant and generous, um, you know, kind of free flowing way? And, um, the Kabbalist tradition teaches us that um, our path to ascension is up the middle pillar, of course. So these um, these dynamics, these sephirah, are creating polarity as we as we go through them. And so, to answer your your question, that um, only very recently I've actually realized that I can see this layers of consciousness now that we've got this. Um, yin and yang, masculine and feminine, very archetypal at the top. Then we've got these higher states of of uh, consciousness that are um, driven by value and um, the the qualitative and you know again mercy and justice and then you go down below them and you've got um, Netzach and Hode 
and um, Netzach is um, feelings and emotions and Hode is thinking. And so at this next layer, I can say, okay, am I, um, am I feeling worked up? Am I feeling emotive about something that's going on? So uh, automatically, if I'm feeling frustrated or, you know, angry or whatever, it's like, well, that's a big, you know, red flag that I'm, I'm, you know, too heavy over here. Um, and on the other hand, if I'm sitting here finding myself just, you know, really, you know, thinking and over intellectualizing, um, I may not be finding purpose in what it is that I'm that I'm thinking about. If I'm if I'm not finding some joy or you know some kind of emotional response to it, so um, yeah. So I think that answers your question. I did just recently kind of put all that together in more concrete terms than I have in the last year that I've been studying. And do you think this is also connected to what? Ra said is the goal of the archetypal study, which is to learn to become become each archetype um, as needed, become that archetype in the in the moment. I don't know. And so there's a reason why. First of all, the Kabbalah class that I'm in uh, through the Modern Mystery School, um, at least right now in the current Kabbalah program, which I've I've um, sort of been told is being changed and upgraded and added to, but um, anyway, in this current um, phase, um, there is um, none of what is called in other uh, Kabbalist uh, circles um, um, pathwork. So the paths themselves between the sephira, they call it pathwork because this is um, these are the twenty two um, archetypes that map over to um, the arcana and um, the astrological signs. And I see. Um, so, um, so we are learning about the Sephra themselves, which is also, I think, very important. And I think that they're going to be bringing around an advanced class for people who have done the first one enough times. But to understand the the, the essential energies themselves, um, I think, is a good foundation to then understand how do these play together between all of these. Now, the <clears throat> the the concept that Ra puts out to to get back to your question, I liked how specific. It was about you could go to any one of these that you might need. And so I found that interesting as though, I guess that all of them are useful, I guess. Is that implicit in what they're saying is that every single one of these, you know, kind of relationships, if you are centered, you know, there with your awareness or consciousness, is it, is there a useful path, you know, between all the sephir or not? Yeah, that's a, it's very interesting. I, I, I think that the, Words fail us when we're talking about these these aspects of ourselves, which are something that we can only find within us. I think when we're um, well, let, let, yeah, I should actually read the 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 passage here. Um, and, and by the way, when I when I say that, when I say whether or not they're useful, I am tying that back to apparently, or this is what I'm realizing: the middle pillar. And, you know, that path is marked by the choice to be in balance on all these, as opposed to, you know, being right. able to move into the energy of one of those. But I suppose there could be any number of circumstances where it may be beneficial, perhaps to, to bring that balanced energy to a collective or to a conversation or to, you know, a room or something like that. And so it could be that there's some sort of... Um archetypal energy in the middle in the middle pillar which is the combination of what on the major arcana cards might be the left and the right hand side of that one card when they're seen together that's the middle pillar 
if that makes sense. It does. And I would also say that the the monad, the, the divine self that comes down through through Keter is the light that that refracts through all of the the Sephirot. And so I attach um when we go back to identity, you know, the monad has to be um the core of that Christ consciousness, fully unified, obviously infinite consciousness. Um, and so that to me comes down the center and right through Tiferet, um, which is a higher state of consciousness than Yasod, which is right below it. And um, that's where we're all targeting on the middle pillar. And it's important to, to not go to the extremes because then you're not as e- easily able to ascend. Let me read this passage here. Um, see if this can make any connections for us. Uh, so Don Elkins asked, you stated that Ra used the Tarot to develop the magical personality, <clears throat> which they also referred to as becoming the higher self. Was this done by the system of learning to become in mind the essence of each archetype and in this way develop the magical personality? And Ra said, this is incorrect. The clothing's oneself with the archetype is an advanced practice of the adept, which has long studied this archetypical system. The concept complexes, which together are intended to represent the architecture of a significant and rich portion of the mind, are intended to be studied as individual concept complexes. So this is clearly not the exact same thing in the Tarot as it is in the um, uh, studying the Sephirot, if they're seen as together. But these are seen in the um, Major Arcana as matrix potentiator and viewing, etc., in viewing mind-body-spirit connections. And in pairs, oh, so these are the two different uh, methods of studying the major arcana that they offered. Um, The matrix of mind, matrix of body, matrix of spirit is one example where they're saying to look at the connections between these three. Um, uh, So it was the connections between mind, body, and spirit is number one. And number two is in pairs with some concentration upon the polarity of the male and the female, which Uh is also interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so when you look at the, for example, the matrix of the mind is masculine. It's the magician. The potentiator of the mind is feminine. It's like the unconscious mind. So they're saying to look at these two, and they they gave different sets of pairs. The first two were a pair. So these have male, masculine, feminine aspects to them, which then are probably like the yin and the yang, actually. Exactly. That's exactly what they are. Hokma is the masculine, and bina is the feminine. And they said, if these are studied, there comes the moment when the deep threnodies and joyful ditties, and this means the poems or songs of lamentation is a threnody and a joyful ditty is a short, simple song. So they're, they're having to use um, unusual language to try to communicate something that is you can't really put words on. And they have to refer to song, forms of song. If these are studied, there comes the moment when the deep threnodies and joyful ditties of the deep mind can successfully be brought forward to intensify articulate and heighten some aspect of the magical personality that's vibration i mean that's what i see right there Uh, and and i'm glad that you said that that you said you know this is pretty much ineffable what they're saying but it does make sense that that they're going to use words that we associate obviously with song and music and sound um, when they're trying to convey a point of 
a vibration. And I think that that's what this is. And to embody that level of vibration and consciousness is to, to become the, the higher self. And so that's, that's it right there. You're bringing it down into manifestation and then it becomes you. Do you feel like you have a good relationship with your higher self? That's a really great question. Um, I had to write about that actually in the Kabbalah class last night. And um, I was a little bit at a loss. Um, I feel like it has to be closer than I possibly realize because it's so present. Like, I don't feel like it's that it's far away. Like relationship to me is almost, you know, more, more describing something that is further away in a way. And, um, I don't know when it happened or if that changed at one specific point or not, but, um, I certainly don't feel like it's far away and that a lot of the times it's quite present as well. Do you feel like there are moments when you are um, forced to sort of take a breather and then step back and step back into the presence of the one infinite creator or something like that? Um, yes. And it's been something that I've brought into meditation recently and especially or specifically in perception in a way in that I was dealing with um, sort of what, what is the face of God and that's everything in your perception as far as you're concerned. And yeah, so it's everything that you can perceive. And so in meditation, um, playing with that a little bit with the energy of everything that I see being this, fundamental source energy just at a different vibration and that in and of itself you know goes back you know a couple of years now from paul Selig's books originally but this was more it was a little bit different because it wasn't um just source as substance but source as form source in wholeness so when the course in miracles talks about this chair doesn't mean anything and this couch doesn't mean anything that i don't give it to um i can drift into moments where i'm not consciously aware of any of the individual objects that i'm seeing though they're all there but it's more like a, a gasalt which I'm not even 100% sure that that's the right word. Um, I was told it was by a psychologist, and then um, I Googled it the other day and couldn't find it. But this being this, this totality of impression of what it is that's within your perception. And so that was like being in a snow globe and God looking down through, you know, the glass and the glass refracting the light to go all the way around the entire snow globe. So like, I'm just in the middle of, of a giant eyeball that is God watching me experience um, this. And as I'm watching it, uh, trying to figure out what it's doing all the time. Did you know, the Raw did use the word gestalt once in reference to archetypes. Really? No way. So um, 
I think they start here. Yeah, the archetypical mind is a great and fundamental portion of the mind complex, one of its most basic elements and one of the richest sources of information for the seeker of the one infinite creator. This is the archetypical mind. It's one of the richest sources of information for the seeker. To attempt to condense the archetypes is to make an erroneous attempt. Each archetype is a significant Ding on Zeke, which I guess is a German philosophy term, which I think is probably also connected to the Gestalt, um, or thing in itself. That's what it means, thing in itself, with its own concept, complex of concepts. While it is informative to survey the relationships of one archetype to another, it can be said that this line of inquiry is secondary to the discovery of the purest Gestalt or vision or melody, which each archetype signifies to both the intellectual and intuitive mind. Wow. So I read that as saying, yes, going after the archetypical energies within the Sephirah is, is a great um, way to go about it. Yeah. What they said, path work versus, you know, focusing on, on the Sephirah. Um, perhaps understanding the relationships is more practical than what I'm giving it um, you know, credit for. It could be that if you find yourself out of balance, you find yourself way over in Hode energy or, you know, way too much up in headset or whatever, and you need to to find a greater balance, then understanding the relation, relationships between each of the sephira will tell you, you know, what sort of thoughts and what sort of um, attention you need to bring into your awareness to reorient yourself back to the middle pillar. Right. It does seem like it's a, <laughs> it's like it, we're always presented with lessons that are that we're ready for and that, that it seems like we have the tools to solve these lessons but it's still like a it's like some kind of video game that we just have the have the puzzle of piecing together what what aspect of those relationships we hadn't yet pieced pieced into our mind yet and how are we deviating from the logos through our experiences and our choices how are we deviating from the purer um lesser distorted more archetypal pure melody, pure vision, um, pure gestalt of the expression that was chosen to be the most purified by the one infinite creator. Yeah, I think it's using the emotional body that lives there in that lower triad in the tree, using that emotional guidance system to let you know um, when you're moving more toward the light, frankly, and when you're moving further away from it. And um, if we start to look at that, in more concrete terms and um, realize that that um, sometimes our negative, so-called negative experience uh, seems to be causing a negative emotional reaction within us, that's to put the cause and the power for your experience outside of yourself. But to realize that you assign the meaning to that thing and that only you assign that meaning is to release your own need to have an emotional attachment uh, to it. So I think that that we have the tools built into our our consciousness um, to guide us um, back to where our truest self is. I think there's a quote in A Course in Miracles that says something like, the most holy place on the planet is the place where an ancient hatred has become a present love. Mm. And so it feels like this is just a process of transmuting, transmuting everything that, that is less than we would desire. Yeah. By looking at our attachment to it, 
accepting the value that we're assigning to it. And that, by the way, is the most empowering thing. And that's the thing that I would like most people to realize above all else is that this sense of empowerment in your life is it feels just as good as you think it would when you realize that you have and are the one who creates your reaction to everything that you experience. And so you can just decide like, oh, this, and I had a meeting this this last week and something came up at work and it was a potentially kind of a, you know, a, whatever, actually it wasn't, I can't even characterize what it was potentially because what I went to my leadership team with and said was, I guess this is as much of a problem as anyone wants to make of it. And as you know, from where I'm sitting, I actually don't have a need to make a problem out of this, but I'm here part of this team and to support what you guys also want to weigh in and decide to do here. And kind of one by one, even the people that were a little bit kind of worked up about it were just like, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess we don't really have to. And it's like, well, you know, you can, if you want to, you know, it's like, think of what the, what the ramifications or the benefit is and, you know, make an informed decision and not one that's just out of this kind of response mechanism. Um, that's huge. I mean, I'll take that every day of the week to be able to have something come up and go, eh, okay, I don't know that it's really that big a deal. And okay, cool. And we just, we just move on. Uh, it certainly seems like it's the solution to a lot of technical problems is to uh, not see it as a problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bug, it's a future. <laughs> <laughs> but it also does seem like it's, it's a miraculous thing too, the way even the technical glitches seem almost mysteriously aligned with my state of consciousness. You know, like even the glitches that I didn't cause, other people are causing these glitches. The API of a different service breaks on the day when I'm most stressed about needing that service to work just perfectly. And so it's like there's some miracle that I'm doing by worrying. I'm creating an alternate reality where this programmer at this other company I've never even met is now fumbling around and mistyping and putting in the, the semicolon in the wrong place just so that I can have this perfect experience of Catalyst um, miraculously, seemingly. Oh, it's orchestrated divinely. That's the only word that you can that you can use for it, um, that, you know, the the causal forces of the universe are you know so up higher and bringing all these synchronicities and all these beautiful opportunities and the opportunities are inherent so it's not um what i've come to understand i think a little bit differently is that rather than sort of like the puppet string kind of thing that i used to think that it was with the higher self and the lower self or maybe the spiritual realms and the physical plane but rather that the spiritual energies are all intrinsic i mean you know and and represented not just obviously in the physical materia but um in an auric fashion around all of the physical materia and um so the system itself is is intrinsically perfect because everything that can that comprises everything is all of this one coherent uh, blueprint, this one coherent approach. And it just has lots of opportunity to create lots of data to experience itself. It feels like there's lots of layers to it. There's there's our layer that we they were adding distortions through. And then there's the the group mind layer. There's the company consciousness as people agree to see something as an issue together. They end up they end up manifesting the the, the right lessons for each other um, together. Um, 
and you know, I, f- I feel like you know the miracles are when we we change our minds together when we're when we're collectively choosing a new reality and we're no longer needing the same the same patterns that seem to be afflicting us we can just we can just have a new completely new reality when we choose it and when we bring that vibration to other people um which i think that this example here this past week that i just shared with you is a good a good one um it's contagious because of co-resonance right like um the um what do physicists call um you got a tuning fork and then one that's tuned the same way um entrainment i think it's called so um things will have to come to an agreement and consciousness is no different and so anytime two or more consciousnesses are together they have to agree on a vibration at a level and if they don't then that encounter can't can't stand and otherwise somebody's going to come down or somebody else is going to come up and when we bring that light when we bring that vibration we're always inviting energetically everyone that we encounter to to realize uh, that there's something else that they could align to and not at a conscious level but it's in the field so do you feel like you are at a crossroads of any kind that, that you're seeking to create much more with more people now um yeah i would say there's um it's every day is a crossroads actually and um i don't feel like i have a particular momentum from any one specific thing uh have a lot of big things that we'd like to do with the business and with technology uh, that we're all very excited to do um and that's you know one aspect but that's not you know my identity as we've been talking about so that's the thing that I do and I'm excited about it like I really love my job and that's what it is and that's what I want anyone including everyone that I work with to know that like this is just a job to me just like I expect it's just a job to to everyone here but if we make it something that you know we get a lot out of that you know then we want to put um everything that's needed in then it works for for everyone but it's still just a job and so as i think of things like crossroads is like well what else would i do with my time which i do have some disposable time um or in the near future and i don't know because it really comes down to this following the energy so synchronistically the next step and the next thing that needs to come into my awareness just kind of keep coming and if there's nothing there on you know one specific day then maybe i'm more of a of a yin energy and i need to just be more observing and um, and just not um, looking to make those mental maneuvers and choices to to move forward in specific directions. Um, so they just come up on any given day, and then um, I pursue them. I love it. Yeah, I I appreciate that very much. The the, the healed mind does not plan, as it says in the Course in Miracles, mm-hmm. um, and that's definitely something I'm still wanting to get back to. That it says that. Yeah, yeah. We could load up that quote right now, actually. Oh, I'd love to. And I did, I did read it, but obviously I read it in a very short amount of time and I got it um, as much of it energetically as I could at the time, but. Oh, this was workbook lesson number 135. Oh. If I defend myself, I am attacked. And I could load up, the, it's kind of long, but I'll, I'll read up the part I mentioned here. This is courseinmiraclesnow.com. Oh man, this whole thing is so good though. Um, I'll start here. The self that needs protection is not real. 
the body, valueless and hardly worth the least offense, may merely be perceived as quite apart from you, and it becomes a healthy, serviceable instrument through which the mind can operate until its usefulness is over. Who would want to keep it when its usefulness is done? Defend the body and you have attacked your mind. For you have seen it in it the, the false weaknesses, the limits, and the lacks from which you think the body must be saved. You will not see the mind as separate from bodily conditions, and you will impose upon the body all the pain that comes from the conception of the mind as limited and fragile and apart from other minds and separate from its source. These are the thoughts in need of healing, and the body will respond with health when they have been corrected and replaced with truth. This is the body's only real defense. Yet is this where you look for its defense? You offer it protection of a kind from which it gains no benefit at all, but merely adds to your distress of mind. You do not heal, but merely take away the hope of healing, for you fail to see where hope must lie if it be meaningful. A healed mind does not plan. It carries out the plans that it receives through listening to wisdom that is not its own. And this gets into the relationship with the higher self concept. It's, you can see it different ways, I believe. Um, a healed mind does not plan. It carries out the plans that it receives through listening to wisdom that is not its own. It waits until it has been taught what should be done and then proceeds to do it. It does not depend upon itself for anything except its adequacy to fulfill the plans assigned to it. It is secure in certainty that obstacles cannot impede its progress to accomplishment of any goal that serves the greater plan established for the good of everyone. A healed mind is relieved of the belief that it must plan, although it cannot know the outcome which is best, the means by which it is achieved, nor how to recognize the problem that the plan is made to solve. It must misuse the body and its plans until it recognizes this is so. But when it has been accepted this is true, then it is healed and lets the body go. Yeah, this is, this is a long lesson. That Man, there is so much there that I have not read. I Obviously, the workbook I never really got to, but um, I didn't realize how much more was... Yeah, um, I love that though. That feels very. Um, uh, I don't want to say I don't feel vindicated. I don't know that that's the word, but um, I've been resisting. I suppose the feeling that I've become just like, you know, not um, trying to control everything all the time. Which it's like it, I am, and I'm. I'm telling people that too. It's like I don't hide it at all. Like everyone that I work with and tell them all what my approach here is and trying to make my job and everybody's job easier. Like you shouldn't have to work so hard. I think this does come back to the grass that blooms, withers and dies less emphasis on the grass and the next, the next particle of grass, the next um, strand of grass that's growing focuses on the, 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 the nature of the one infinite creator behind it all and finding the, the perfect way to participate in this yeah, absolutely. It's tuning your frequency to uh, a level that creates an experience that you can choose. And if you do, there's a really high likelihood that you're going to decide that it's a better way of being or that you prefer it. It doesn't make it better uh, objectively. It just means that you might find it uh, more satisfying or fulfilling or rewarding or joyful or any of these things. Um, but it doesn't necessarily make it more um, relevant or more, um, I mean, all catalyst is beneficial, 
So all life is experienced, everything is assimilated. Um, it's just about waking up to the fact that we have a choice and what that experience looks and feels like, and that we make that choice every single time we perceive something and we decide what it means. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? It did occur to me last weekend, actually, as soon as you sent me that email, I went, well, now I want to interview you because I've got questions on top of questions. And this other thing that occurred to me here in the last couple of days, or maybe I wrote it down earlier this week, is that, and this applies to pretty much anyone with whom I'm in a, a engaging conversation about seeking spiritual truth is I need to know what you need to know. And I've had this, this conception and experience of building a vortex, you know, when there's two or more people involved in seeking to understand something. And that's what drives whatever access to knowing that I have. It really seems to be the earnest, honest, inquisitive, approach to wanting to understand something and when when somebody can ask a question from that space then it's something that i can you know latch on to and and become a part of and then when i sit back and say well what do i need to know and when it's just me in a in my own kind of microcosm here um i have a hard time coming up with almost anything almost anything. I did do um, the I Ching uh, the other night that I sent you the result of, which was um, pretty cool. I thought that was, you know, kind of um, completely apropos, obviously. Synchronicities upon synchronicities, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, but otherwise, I don't have burning questions per se. Like, I, I know that I'm an aspect of God, and I know that God is all things. And that I know that the system itself is intrinsically perfect, but as an aspect of God with free will, I have the choice to have an experience that I may deem imperfect. And I know all of those things. So, you know, cool. That's great to know. Um, is there a seeking that has to unfold? Well, that's the that's the point is that I don't know what the next right question is until somebody else wants to understand something as well. And then that's when there's an energetic, you know, exchange. And that otherwise, if I'm just sitting here by myself, now I'm I'm reading through the Kabbalah, obviously. So I'm I'm pursuing a path to understand the information that's in uh, the tree of life. So there's tons of practical um, information about how consciousness, you know, works and all of that. So it's not so much that there's a question as there is that there's a quest, I suppose. And it does seem like what you're describing is just catalyst in general, that there, there needs to be a, a catalyst. There needs to be appreciation of catalyst for there to be the quest that comes from the experience that comes from catalyst that comes to the potential transformation through the, the honoring of the catalyst be it a person's question or something within us even. Yeah, which could be a reaction to some of that assignment of meaning that we talked about earlier and the emotional response. Um, yeah, that's um, that's what we're that's what we're geared to respond to. and and we can, and that's a that's one good way. and one way that I think we 
can um, always be aware of because it's very effective to be tuned into our emotional response. Um, and then when you want to understand things at a deeper level, seeing them through somebody else's eyes to me is the, the most effective way for me to get a, a deepened understanding of a concept that I otherwise have in sort of two dimensions in my own reality already. Right. I agree. It definitely seems like I can think I understand something and then have a conversation with my wife or with you or the groups. And then it's like, oh, wow, that's that's a much bigger shape of a concept than I had than I was touching on. Yeah. Well, and that's that's how because we're taking this thing from this sort of two dimensions and then turning it around and seeing it from another angle, which is why I view this this vortex really, you know, having the exact amount of pull and draw that you have that you've impressed it with that you've you know injected into it with your own inquisition and so when one person asks a question if you can crawl into the energy of that question from their perspective and sort of amplify it and this to me sounds like the doubling effect that Ra tells us about um that's what it feels like to me it feels like when everyone crawls into that same common space you know, wanting to to understand this same thing, we're all bringing our own perspective of everything that we bring to it, and it creates this perfect um, draw. And the light comes in, and suddenly we understand things in a whole new way. I do think that's a part of the process of awakening the the blue ray chakra, awakening the indigo, and being able to perceive the the flow of the 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 perfect flow of information, the flow of communication. And the flow of this um, awareness of the connectedness of all things through the 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 pure meanings of the words, the pure meanings of the ideas that we're communicating, and I did learn that I believe through having a full time job and having to deal with project managers and salespeople who didn't understand what they were saying, <laughs> and they were needing they needed an amplification of the concepts that were fuzzy to start with, that needed clarification needed to be actually turned into something concrete, which is the end result product that we're offering the, the customer. Without enough communication, there's just kind of me doing something creatively that doesn't necessarily connect to the original communication of the vision of the project. Yeah, which is the same the same thing. It, so here we are in manifestation, trying to sort of create this, this vacuum that we're pulling in whatever it is that we want to create. And without an effective vacuum that's, that's well honed and pointed at something very specific, you might end up with something that's really just kind of loose. And so that's in all cases, everyone's perception creating some sort of a of an impression. It's in, in informing that thing or that person or event or whatever with its consciousness. And so we have all these loose connections. And then as soon as we start looking in the same direction, um, then all of a sudden I think a lot more clarity comes through. Absolutely. Yeah. That was. What Ross says is taking the humanity so long uh, to ascend is that the compass is not pointing in one direction. The needle is not pointing in one direction. And as soon as we can get all on the same page, that's when we can spontaneously have these huge breakthroughs collectively. We can have the telepathic exchange instead of needing the, the technology of the Internet. It seems as though we'll have the technology of uh, psychic connections that allow us to perceive into the mind that we're all on the same page with in order to find all the information we need with the power of the collective mind all working together. 
Yeah, and I think that that's that's the work in vibration because the the higher the vibration, the more naturally everything is pointed in the same direction. It's really only at very low vibration is everything really chaotic and and you know frictious and um, you know a mess. <laughs> um, so by raising that vibration, we're spreading the possibility and probability that more people become part of that vibration, and that's how we wake up a world yeah i think that's also um, why they call the 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 place in between polarities in between service to self and service to others is the sinkhole of indifference and people just get stuck in between i do complacency well and and stuck in the grass focused on the blade of grass and not realizing the landscape before them exactly and i guess it's uh it's it's ironically it's a good thing for marketers i suppose to have people who just they just take in what they're given and just turn it into another distraction and just and just just flow with, with information in a non-structured way but i guess it's the it's the catalyst of structures that we're kind of aiming for with creating courses and creating um teachings and references to the highest truths and highest uses of words that we can come across at least with with these books that we're recommending yeah well structures are imbued with the energy of the consciousness in which they're created and so creating structures at a much higher level of consciousness imbues it with that energy and you have a new foundation you have a new stable place to move forward from but structures obviously born in low vibration and and rooted in fear um, stay there and can't really become a, a foundation for something on top of it. Do you have any book recommendations for people to learn more about the Kabbalah or um, start with Paul Selig's work? Oh gosh, it, yeah, it really depends on on kind of where you're vibrating. If you if you're in Hode, as far as the Tree of Life is concerned, um, where you're hyper intellectual or analytical. Uh, then yeah, the Kabbalah is, a, is a, a pretty good way to go as far as Western esotericism goes. And um, The Mystical Kabbalah by Dion Fortune is a book I'm reading right now. I think it's a really good introduction to understanding you know, all these things that we've been talking about, the correspondences of the Sephirah. Um, if you're looking for a process, if you're looking for a trajectory and you're looking for self-mastery, um, yeah, I would say that the Paul Selig's works are um, also very good and you'll find resonance either very early on or you know if it doesn't um, you know you'll know you know within a few chapters or whatever in the first book but for the people that it clicks with um, it's exactly what they're looking for if that seems a bit daunting if that's you know going okay if i start one am i going to go all the way through to 10 and how long is that going to take me um, I mean, you don't have to, and you can do them in, in whatever order uh, you feel called to. Um, though there's another book that, uh, the one that I mentioned, The Wisdom of the Council by Sarah Landon. And I think that it encapsulates a lot of this higher vibration, um, truth and information. So if you're looking for something um, to kind of nourish that aspect of yourself that, you know, you already kind of know these things, but get it delivered to you in, you know, really um, beautiful ways. Um, that's one book that um, I also recommend. Excellent so this has been 90 minutes not that i not that it needs to end um i feel like everyone's time is is precious and i also feel, I feel like like what what good are my words in comparison to some of these books like i don't know if if us just rambling if we're just enjoying our rambling right now i don't know 
<laughs> I think that that's what we do. And we're bringing in more light, you know, with that, with that rambling. So um, I look forward to doing this again and again. Yeah, me too. Um, so any other last thoughts, anything you'd like people to know about? Um, no, just that, that I, I really um, truly do find joy in seeking and particularly with uh, someone like you and others that we have in uh, meetup groups and things like that. Um, it's definitely very nourishing to me to, to, to feed that aspect of seeking. So I just really appreciate everything that you do. Yeah, thanks. And yeah, definitely it's meetup.com. I recommend everybody get on meetup.com. And, and if you don't have anybody in your area, then you should start a group and eventually attract people in your area who resonate with whatever keywords and phrases you put into your um, event posting or meetup group posting. Yeah, so. I agree. All right, Andrew, it's it's sad to have to end the conversation, but I feel like it's the appropriate time and there will be many, many more opportunities. And I look forward to all of them. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks.